2: worker of yours.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for sticking and staying with us here at WCCO. You are listening to Steel Talking, and I'm excited to have you join us tonight. And if you've never listened to this show before, I'm looking forward to you listening to this particular interview. Why? Because it's talking about AI. Let me tell you about the, the teacher that really has written this book and knows a lot about it. It says here, as students head back to school, an emerging tool they can make use of is artificial intelligence. There's concern in some industries that AI is providing more problems than solutions. That's one of my concerns as a parent and a grandparent. Should teachers and parents have those same concerns? I say yes. Award-winning teacher and curriculum coordinator John Fila tackles this in his new book, Embracing AI, Beyond the Basics Strategies for Educational Transformation. And he's joining us now on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline to give us a few pitfalls and tell us why things aren't as gloomy as they seem. Welcome, John. Thank you so much for joining us tonight.
3: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
1: This is the conversation that is being had just about in every space. People are right. wondering, what is it? Why do we need it? What is this? We've been talking about AI years ago when there were movies coming out about it, like early 70s. So if it's been around for a long time, what has been happening with AI?
3: Well, I think when, when people think of AI right now, what we're really talking about are these large language models like ChatGPT, Google Bard, or Claude that are trained on massive amounts of information. And and while we've always had some ability to kind of search through large amounts of data, these are able to answer our questions in a way that sound more like us. And so I think on some level, it it might freak people out a little bit that they're not just hearing that computer-generated voice or just seeing maybe a response that seems a little cold. That these things actually sound more like humans, so so it is different than anything we've really ever encountered before.
1: Exactly, and this is what's making parents, specifically, really nervous. Sure. Teachers as well. Would you say, as a teacher, that you too were were concerned at one time?
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm still concerned, but you know, last November or December, I started to notice some some pretty unusual assignment submissions. And so um, I just really started to dive into what was happening, and, you know, what I'd rather focus on is why students are choosing these tools over doing some of the other assignments themselves. I mean, we've always had a certain percentage of students that's just looking um, maybe for for an easier solution or to get some of their work done early, but I think we're facing more challenges uh, with our student populations than we've ever had before because of uh, rising anxiety and mental health issues, so it, it's no surprise to me that they would want to lighten their workload in some way that you know for especially for assignments that they may not feel personally connected to or that has any kind of real world relevance for them.
1: You know here's the thing for me. The first word I think of when someone says, "Oh, AI, we're in the midst of it now is that, okay, what does that really mean for me as an adult versus a child versus a teenager?" versus your grandparents?
3: Yeah, I, so I guess I'll, I'll start with the, with the child. Um, you know, if we want to prepare learners for being able to, you know, perform well in just about any career field moving forward, we, we really need to get a handle on what the appropriate uses of these kinds of tools are. Um, you know, because they're being integrated in just about every walk of life, you know, it's in our interest to make sure that young people know what they are, what they're capable of, what what we need to be wary of. Um, you know, for, for older generations, you know, I think what's a little bit scary is that more and more people are starting to sound like the bots they're interacting with on social media. So we also need people to understand that they when they're interacting with various help desks or, or chats that they may, they may not be actually talking to a real person, uh, and they think they are, so that can lead to more frustration or maybe not quite feeling heard or like their answers are being um, provided to them. So, you know, the different maybe approaches I would take depending on the generation of learner, I actually encourage students to use it, but I have a whole list of things that I'd like them to do Before they submit the work, you know, a lot of times when students are just using AI for their assignment submissions, they won't even read the submission. I'll see the AI referring to itself within the submission, which is a pretty clear giveaway. But um, what I'm I'm most interested in is seeing how the students take the AI response and then craft something that sounds more like them out of that initial rough draft.
1: And what have you learned?
3: Well, you know, I think... for me, what I've learned is that maybe some of the assignments that I was giving in the past weren't really all that important, right? So most people, once they're out of school, aren't sitting around writing essays. So as an English teacher, I need to think about what, how do I really want students to verify that they've learned the information that I'd like them to learn? How do they demonstrate the skills that, that are required of them? And, and maybe simple written responses just aren't the way to do that anymore. And, you know, maybe they never were. But, you know, in education, you know, tradition kind of takes over and we we do what we were taught. We do the things the way we've always done them. So for me, it's been exciting to just look at new ways of getting around these models um, to support my own work. And I think, you know, if students see teachers using AI to do things like you know, lighten their own workload and do some of their work for them, students are really good at spotting hypocrisy over just about anything else. So if if they see us using it and we tell them they can't, then we've got a real problem on our hands and, and maybe a loss of trust, and, and it's harder to build that kind of relationship. So I do want to work with learners, talk about how I'm using it, talk about you know, ways in which they can use it to maybe ease some of their burden as well.
1: You know, I I want to remind our listeners that we are listening uh, and talking with John Fila, author of a book called Embracing AI, Beyond the Basics Strategies for Educational Transformation. To me, what this little bit that I have so far makes me sit up tall and try to figure out, Jarlene, where do you even begin at my age, right? The children are used to constantly reading and learning, right? I'm, I've got to finish my master's degree. I'm just <laughs> three months away from that, right? Great. Yeah. But at the same time, it seems like the children and the teenagers know way more than the adults. And that could be a problem. Am I correct?
3: I'm not so sure I agree with that. I think, um, you know, there's some misconceptions about how good young people are with technology, but I think, you know, what they're better at is being fearless around technology. So they're not afraid to jump in and try something and see how it aligns with what they're already doing. And I think adults are a little more hesitant to do those things. I don't think young people are necessarily... All that gifted when it comes to you know crafting interesting prompts in a way that gets good responses from AI, you know um, I, I I don't really care for a lot of the default kinds of responses without some careful consideration about how do we really generate the kind of answers we want to see. So you know for instance you know a teacher could have AI write a lesson plan, write a study guide, write a quiz, but if if the AI was trained on certain practices and um, procedures that that aren't that don't make good sense pedagogically, like they're just not good teaching practices, or things like learning styles or brain-based learning, you know, we're going to get garbage back. So if, if we just prompt for a response, get the response, and use it, that's not what we're looking for. So, so for instance, um, the district I work in, Intermediate District 287. You know, we embrace things like social-emotional learning and um, creating diverse perspectives so that students see themselves reflected in the, in the curriculum they're using. So when I'm working with AI, I'm asking for things like um, accessibility, universal design for learning. Uh, I'm looking for things that are more using more inclusive language or using um, SEL to be more encouraging in the assignment directions themselves. So I want to make sure that I'm, I'm using kind of the best practices that I'm aware of to get good responses. And if I do that, I can get something that helps lift some of the burden when I'm writing curriculum. Um, but if I'm just asking a question about writing a lesson, well, then I don't get anything that's any that's substantially different from what I get now. So I'm really excited about how do we push on it? How do we identify bias? How do we use it to kind of move things forward in a way that, that are, that's more inclusive uh, in, instead of some of the you know practices that we see maybe in, in some other states right now where they're actually locking down curriculum that includes multiple perspectives and diverse voices?
1: What amazes me is that many of the questions that you just presented very quickly, it's amazing. We have had to deal with those same questions, uh, not with AI, but now it's AI, and it feels as though we are... Uh, renewing all of those questions. But in the the lens of AI, when you don't even understand it, can you imagine how long it would take the rest of the world to get on board, even the rest of America, for us to really get on board and understand AI? But here's the thing for me. I don't understand why we need it.
3: Mm. Yeah, so I guess I could give you a couple of ideas around that. So at least in the education profession, um, it would take, let's say, a group of English language arts teachers quite a few hours to go through all of the educational benchmarks when, when new ones are adopted, identify which ones are the essential ones, how we're going to build everything out, writing assessments for those things, writing student-friendly language around them. And with AI, we can do all of that in a matter of a few minutes. You know, if, if I do all of that with a team, that could take a few days. And now if I use AI to do some of that heavy lifting up front, now I can spend that time with my colleagues kind of arguing, debating, having deep conversations around what this looks like for our student populations and our different programs. And so now our cognitive load is really freed up to have important conversations about how we reach learners instead of doing some of the, uh, maybe the paperwork and, and some of the deep dive into what the benchmarks are. So if you have some expertise in areas around uh, equity and inclusion or accessibility or writing curriculum, you know, the the review of the AI responses now becomes a small part of your job rather than a big focus of your job. And, And all we have to do outside of education is just have people start to have these kinds of conversations with tools like ChatGPT. So, you know, for instance, I'm writing a comic book right now, and and I don't know a lot about the industry. But if I ask ChatGPT for some ideas around how do I market this comic book, it's going to give me a lot of insights that I wouldn't have necessarily had on my own. So now I can go explore those avenues rather than trying to spend all of my time researching ideas and how to do these kinds of things. So I think there's a balance. And the, the best way, I think, to overcome some of the fear around it is just to you know open up an internet browser and ask it a question. Start using it. It's now integrated directly into the search platforms that most of us use. So we're we're likely using it already and don't even know it.
1: Which in in, in my mind that sounds so ridiculous because I don't understand <laughs> it. I do know that there are ways that we can all be taught, uh, no matter what the age is, if we have right. our you know our minds and. And we can just understand it. It all depends on who's delivering the message. Um, real quickly, I want to tell you, when I read about your book and it says that the book provides insightful decision points, hands-on tasks, and real-world examples, making it an invaluable guide for educators, administrators, and policymakers keen to harness AI's potential for progressive educational landscape. So here's the thing. I am none of those things. I'm not an educator. I'm not an administrator. I'm not a policymaker. How do I benefit from this?
3: I I think how you benefit is uh, well, you mentioned as a parent or a grandparent, and, and what, I, what I'm what i interested in as a parent as well is how are the districts my children are in using these tools? And I want them to be as transparent as possible. And how are they pushing back on some of the biases inherent in the AI, in how they were trained, and maybe even the programmers themselves? And what are they doing to ensure that what they're using these tools for aren't just spreading these implicit biases around um, you know maybe at at faster rates than we were able to before so the tools make us more efficient and if you are looking for efficiencies in your life you know i have students that suffer from anxiety or uh, adhd uh, and they're looking for ways to uh, maybe help identify their schedules or figure out ways to do things that have traditionally been a challenge for them and they can sift through some of the ideas that the ai gives them and then see which ones of those they're, they're willing to work on. And so it really just becomes uh, an idea generator. And, and, and these kinds of things then can speed up our work. And for me, these, these impersonal kinds of tools have actually ended up causing more collaboration among my colleagues than, than maybe I've had in the last 24 years. We've had more conversations about what's really important. What do we really want students to be able to do? How would they show it to us? And, and I think the AI frees us up. Than to have those important conversations with our colleagues, regardless of what field we work in.
1: It's a remarkable book. I hope to to have it in my hands very soon. Um, my guest tonight is John Fila. He's the author of Embracing AI: Beyond the Basics: Strategies for Educational Transformation. Pick up the book, you guys. Make sure you take a listen, read it. I don't care if you want to go through it quickly and then go back to it, and you can. You might have to read this three or four times. Um, John, thank you so much for writing the book. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. And I will have other questions. I hope I can um, ask for your assistance in the future.
3: Yes, of course. Thank you so much for having me. And if you're looking for more information or student guides or teacher guides I've written, those are available on my website, johnfila.com. J-O-N-F-I-L-A.com.
1: J-O-N-F-I-L-A.com.
3: Yes, thank you.
1: Thank you, sir. Be well.
3: All right, you too. Thanks. hope to talk to you again soon. You
1: too. Thank you. All right, everyone, we're going to take a break. We'll be back.
0: His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. hi And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it.
2: worker of yours
1: It is now 8.28. My goodness, how the time is fly- flying. Thank you so much for sticking with us. If you notice that my voice is different, I still am, Geraldine Steele. I am um, just having a difficult time with my throat these last three days and had a little cold and, you know, got a little bigger and doing just fine now, but I sound kind of funny. <laughs> so thank you so much for sticking and staying with us. I am curious to know uh, what you think about A.I., Because the bottom line is, you know, as you hear all of the stories, I just wonder how in the world do we stop it if it's not really working for us? Jonathan, how do we stop it?
4: It beats me.
1: So we're going through this tunnel. We're going through a whole nother time, right? Because AI is something that we've heard about for decades. Yeah. We'll talk about this again, maybe in a couple of Sundays. We'll be back. It is now 8.37 here at WCCO. Welcome back. You are listening to Steel Talkin'. I'm your host, Geraldine Steele. It is what I love to do on a Sunday night is be here with you. And you have been here with me for a long time. So thank you so much for sticking and staying with us. The other voice that you hear is Jonathan Lowe. He's our in-studio producer and so much more. So we thank him as well. Uh, My other producer is Chris Tubbs, who handles the 9 o'clock hour so Jonathan is the 7 and 8 o'clock hour, and Chris Tubbs is the 9 o'clock hour. So we have a great lineup for you tonight. We talked about artificial intelligence, and I know so little about it. Um, I will say this. I don't know what the urgency is. Why is it that we need AI immediately? Do you know, Jonathan?
4: I. It's just... I guess the technological age, just everything we don't think we need five years down the road, we can't live without. You know, did we did we honestly need cell phones? Did we honestly need televisions? Did we honestly need.
1: Radio? Yes.
4: Well, I'm, I'm not going to say anything bad about radio. Radio, yes. I'm not going to say anything bad about radio. Radio, yes. We need radio. We need newspapers. Radio, just keep yeah. it coming. Keep it coming. Yeah. But did, did, we, did we need
1: the internet? Okay, so it's changed our lives. That's what the internet has done. Yes. It has changed the way we look at our lives.
4: And, and that's the thing. With some of these in- innovations, at the time, you might think you're, you're a space case. You're, you're in left field. You know, you, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Did we need it? Did we need the, the automobile? Did we need the car? But once you get saturated, it once it gets saturated in the market, a few years later, we can't live without it. It's It's, you know, you have a cell, most people have a cell phone bonded to their hand 16 hours a day. And 20 years ago, You'd have been you have been nuts, You're like oh that's that newfangled equipment. The commercial, the com- the commercial I'm thinking about right now, for one of the fold phones, the the Samsung fold yes. phones. Right, they've where, really been pushing that. Mm-hmm. Yes, and and you you see the people that they talk about. Oh, this phone you got to have it once you see it. It's it's just amazing. And and the you got the one detractor saying I'll never need that phone. Why would I need that phone? And then they look at someone opening up that phone. And their brains go to mush, and their eyes open biggest saucers because, oh my God, I need to have it. It's that type of feeling.
1: Yeah, I never will understand why Americans do that. I gotta have it. I gotta have whatever the latest thing is. And then where where do we even discard them? It's illegal, really, to just throw it in the trash. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's really frustrating. We have a lot of things here in our country. I get that. At the same time. We also have a lot that we don't need. There's a lot that we don't need. Um, So in order for us to just keep moving up and forward, we have to make sure that everyone understands what is allowing us to move up and forward. Is it the human mind? The human dream? Is it us that is driving it? And that's my concern. I don't think it's us driving it, Jonathan.
4: I I think it's us driving it initially. The question is, When does the art, and this has been the question, like you said, in movies for years and in TV shows and and, in media entertainment aspects of it. When does the machinery stop needing us and start relying on itself? And that's whether it's warranted or not, whether it's out in left field or not, that's the concern, in my opinion.
1: But there will be many, many Americans who will never understand AI. There were those who won't accept it. They won't accept AI, right? So anytime we have new technology, that's always a challenge for us. And then you have people that will come knock on your, your door, neighbors, and say, hey, have you heard such and such a thing? You ought to try it. It's so great. You ought to try it. It's just so great. And then you find out maybe it's not so great for you. Maybe for that person way over there, it's great for them. But maybe you're next to neighbor nervous say, no, no, it's not good for me. So as we keep moving forward with hearing about AI, do your best. I am saying this to these listeners that I absolutely love. Please do your best to learn as much about it as possible. doesn't mean that you have to sh- share with your spouse or your children, your aunts and uncles, but learn as much as you can and try to get the understanding you need. That's what I'm going to do. Wish me well. We'll be back.
0: Now, get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562 314 4603 for details.
4: This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else?
1: Welcome back, everyone. It is eight forty-seven here at WCCO. Thank you so much for sticking and staying with us. Well, we have a guest <clears throat> named Dr. Tyler Shipper, associate professor of economics and data Analy- uh, let me get it right—analytics at the University of Saint Thomas. Why is he joining us? Well, earlier this week, the Biden administration proposed a rule that would raise the ceiling of salary eligibility to earn overtime pay. Now, the new maximum dollar amount where employees are allowed to make the extra money could affect millions of workers across various industries. But would this increase be enough for today's prices, as we know, we keep saying, Oh, we're giving, you know, these, this group of people more money. But when it comes down to it, the bottom line is you still don't have enough to meet all of the bills, to meet all of the food that's needed. And so, Dr. Tyler Shipper is here to help us go through some of these details. He joins us now on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Welcome, sir. How are you?
6: Very good. How about yourself?
1: I'm doing well. I have a little cold, so forgive me for that. Um, yeah. Here's the thing. What we need to talk about tonight um, is quite remarkable because this if this really happens, this new maximum dollar amount, um, and these employees are allowed to actually make this extra money. It sounds like a free thing, but it's not, is it?
6: Yeah, I mean, anytime you make big changes like this in the labor market, the the concern is always about unintended consequences, who gains and, and who loses out. And so one of the places that might not be free is uh, some small businesses that are having a hard time making it go of it right now and having to pay their workers more might mean they go out of business.
1: It actually feels as though everyone is having a hard time right now because there's been so many changes, right? Um, And so the small businesses we know have been really suffering over the years. And then there have been good days and bad days. However, the major corporations have their challenges as well. And I don't see how we can ever get to the point where it all makes sense. Do you know? When it all makes sense.
6: <laughs> you know, I, I wish I had the answer to that. If, if I was able to tell everybody when it will all make sense, I, I feel like I'd be the most popular person to be on the air and everybody would be listening to me.
1: Well, I tell you, um, I'm so happy that you're joining us tonight because at least you understand a lot of this information. Tell us why this was important um, for the President of the United States to do this.
6: Yeah. I think this is kind of important both on a a political side, but also on the economics. So on the political side, this policy is consistent with the Biden administration saying they want to uh, build from the bottom up and the middle out and this Biden economics that uh, has been talked about a lot on the campaign speeches and campaign stump. Uh, From an economic sense, I think this is important because we're talking about workers that are towards the bottom part of the salary pay scale that this threshold was really low before, about $35,000. And we're gonna hopefully raise it up to $55,000, which makes a lot more people eligible for overtime pay. So these are kind of lower range managers in many cases that are working their tails off, um, but aren't eligible for overtime pay um, because they essentially um, weren't high enough on the pay scale yet.
1: I am amazed at how much money um people are not getting. <laughs> um, you can sit and say, oh, this person is making 55000 or this person is making 35000 And And what's happening right now in our world, particularly here in the great state of Minnesota, is that there are millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people that are losing money at their jobs. They're taking the money away, many of them. There are People who say, okay, i got to keep this job even though I'm not making that much. Remember when there was the big argument about $15 an hour? Mm-hmm. That's never enough. Yeah. That's not going to be enough. So how do we get to the point where this could actually happen? Yeah,
6: so the, the, the wage theft and, and things like that I think are a big reason to, to implement this is that there's a, a really interesting working paper out there by the National Bureau of Economic Research and some authors that have pushed this working paper there and one of the things they found is that a lot of firms were actually mischaracterizing their employees' job titles so that they could get around this same, this same rule and not have to pay people overtime. Uh, so, for instance, they would call somebody a director of first impressions so that they would be kind of quote manager. Um, but really, this was somebody that was greeting people at the door. But because they classified this person as a manager, they decided they didn't have to pay them overtime. So certainly wage theft in these kind of ways is a a very serious problem and part of the reason why the Biden administration wants to raise this threshold so that there's kind of less gaming the system by by some employers.
1: So it also talks about under the the Fair Labor Standards Act, almost all U.S. hourly workers are entitled to overtime pay after 40 hours a week at no less than time and a half their regular rates but salary workers who perform executive, administrative, and professional roles are exempt, exempt from that requirement unless they earn a certain level. These are the things that confuse us. Yes,
6: yes. The, the number of exemptions on here is very confusing, right? So you're absolutely right. First, we split workers into hourly workers and salaried workers. And then these salaried workers, we're talking about these two criteria, one, do you make enough money that if you're over the threshold, um, then your employer doesn't have to worry um, wouldn't have to worry about um, paying you overtime if you met one of these other exceptions that you were an executive, you were engaged in administrative or professional work? Um, and if you actually look at the statute, it is it is very confusing um, and And I think this is a good place for a plug for. Uh, particularly for small businesses that are trying to figure out whether they're on the right side of this type of regulation. Uh, Minnesota, the Department of Employment and Economic Development does have a small business consulting that they do. Uh, And I think that's a really great way for employers to make sure they're getting this right, trying to figure out whether they should be paying overtime for their employees or not, because it's, it's not straightforward. It is confusing. And historically, it's actually been even more confusing because there used to be different thresholds for uh, different types of exemptions.
1: Why do we keep working on this, but we never get anywhere? It's,
6: that's a great question. I, I'd say because the economy is is so complex that the complexity in some ways breeds complex regulations that in, in a perfect world, so in a perfect world of, of principles of economics that maybe your uh, listeners took, we would think about a labor market that is perfectly competitive, that if you didn't like the job and you were being asked to work too many hours, you'd go out there and find a different job. The problem is, and I think this is something you've been identifying, is that that's not the reality for for most American workers. 60% of American workers work paycheck to paycheck. And this idea that you're going to leave a job because you don't like that you've been assigned five extra hours this week, um, when you have kids at home to feed, I think is is unfair. There's a serious barrier to going to find that new job, which unfortunately means we have to have regulations like this so that workers get a fair shake.
1: Yeah, but we never seem to get to that fair shake. You know, it's accepted. We're going to we're going to just sit down here for a minute because we know that we're going to get what we deserve and then they don't. Um, And that's the challenge for me. As we keep fighting this and trying to figure it out, we're wasting time and money just to figure out what we know can happen. So like it says here, business leaders argue that setting the salary requirement too high, too high will exacerbate staffing challenges for small businesses and could force many companies to convert salaried workers to hourly ones to track working time. Now to me, It makes sense to say, you know, the salary requirement is too high. But once that is defined, why does it have to change immediately?
6: So I think that's actually one of the, we were just talking about complications, is that there is actually uh, another part of this rule change that will change this threshold every three years. Because one of the problems with a rule like this is that when you set it a certain amount, but prices go up, over time that that nominal threshold becomes meaningless. And that was part of the problem is that this threshold was too low because prices have gone up. Right. And so building this into the law so that it changes and keeps up with those higher prices, then means that hopefully we don't have to go back and kind of ad hoc reset the level every once in a while. Um, I was looking back at when this had last changed and when the Obama administration tried to change this in 2016, mm-hmm. um, a an attempt that ended up getting scuttled in court but it had been more than a decade before that it was changed before that and so we see the same thing with the minimum wage and why like where states like minnesota index their minimum wage to inflation so that it automatically goes up so we don't keep having the same um fights over policy that have been decided once
1: well i tell you um you have given us some insight tonight and i truly Truly appreciate this, sir. I, I'm, I'm really always frustrated how money is handled, not just in D.C., but across our country. Um, and it's tragic. There are so many people that are hurting. And if there's something I can do, please tell me what it is. Please, sir.
6: Yeah, we will do. I'm hoping this helps the least well off among us. I think that I, I like this regulation because it, it helps the people that are lowest and need the most money right now.
1: Dr. Tyler Schipper, thank you so much. For joining Great, us tonight. Thank you. All right, we're going to take a break, and we'll come back in a moment.
0: His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt, Hi-ya! and even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the three percent annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams—thanks for everything, Mom and Dad—will always be worth it.